0: Today is Thursday, Wednesday, fourth day of the week. So we have our fourth Aliyah. And let's jump right in. Verse 26. Hashem. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aharon, saying... Verse 27. Ad Masai. Until when? This is an expression that conveys its... Is too much admasai until when la hazais. for this bad or evil assembly or evil congregation. Who is who is God talking about over here? Is he talking about the Jewish people at large? Rashi tells us no, he's talking about a very specific congregation. Now, what is a congregation? Which congregation is this? Congregation Miraglim. This is the congregation of the spies but particularly the 10 spies who came back with a, with a bad report. And as Rashi tells us, we derive from this, these words that a congregation, a minion for which you can say holy things like Kaddish or Kedusha or read the Torah, has to be a minimum of 10. And we derive it from this verse, as counterintuitive as that is. But as the Rebbe explains, actually is a, gives us a hint to the fact that the spies had some kind of a spiritual yearning that they wanted to stay in the pure, rarefied ear of the desert with the mana and the water from the well of Miriam and so forth, and the teachings of Moshe and Aaron. They didn't want to go into the quote-unquote real world, and that's what we're doing in prayer. In prayer, we are, in a sense, escaping, taking a retreat. I wouldn't say escape. We're retreating from that world to get the strength to go back into it. So as ironic as it sounds and counterintuitive as it sounds, in fact, makes sense that the congregation, the idea of a minion, comes from here, and that's from the tractate Megillah. If I was thinking of something else. I saw it in a, in a responsum from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who was a very famous, probably the, the leading halachic, the, the decider for the Ashkenazic world and um, passed away in the 1980s. So he has a tshuva, he has a responsum about who exactly can be counted in a minion. You know, if, if a Jew has really strayed from Judaism, how far can you go and still be counted in the minion? And he says, well, you got to be worse than the spies. And the spies were saying pretty heretical things like God cannot um, you know, bring the Jewish people into the land of Israel. He doesn't have that power. So if you haven't gone that far, if you're coming to Shul, then he argues that you're counted in the minion. So another lesson there is when you, we talk about a minion, which is about Jewish community, and there could be a, a uh, inclination to say, "Oh, this person can't be counted. This person's not religious enough. This person's not good enough." Well, let's look at the original minion, the uh, the original ten spies. I should "Hey, malini malai." So these spies, this evil congregation, what did they do? Malini malai. Malini, Rashi tells us, is a causative verb. They're causing others to complain and quetch against me. meaning they with their report they cause the Jewish people as yis Israel the complaints of the Jewish people that they the spies are causing them to quetch against me, Shamaiti, I have heard it. Verse 28 aleim, say to them, Chai oni, as I live, Neuma Hashem says, "God, im or by my life, What you said in my ears, that is what I'm going to do to you. Now, what is, what is, uh, what are the words that the people said in God's ears that He's going to do? It says Rashi, Rashi should be You said the Jewish people said, "Oh, bamid Let us die. I wish we would have died. We wish we would have died in the desert. Instead of bringing us into this land, we're going to be killed. We should have just died in the desert. Says God, in fact, that is what is going to happen, that you will die in the desert. Verse 29, in this desert, your corpses shall fall. All your entire number. From 20 years and above. Now, when you look at this at first glance, you think you know everybody 20 years and above is going to die. But Rashi tells us something different. Rashi says the 20 years and above refers to the counting, who were counted. And as we had in the earlier Parshas and Bamidbar, we had the counting of the Jewish people, and we learned that who was counted, those who were 20 years and above. Rashi tells us there was an exception to that. Who was not counted from the age of 20, but rather was counted from the age of 30, 25, 30, was the Levites? The Levites were counted from a, from a higher age. They are not included in this decree of dying out. And why is that? Because the Levites did not uh, partake in the sin of the golden calf. And as we'll see, this sin of the spies was really the clincher for which they were not going to be allowed into the land of Israel. And in truth, the idea was already formulating from when they they committed the sin of the golden calf it already arose in God's thought the machshava that they would not get into the land they would not enter the land of Israel so because the levites were not engaged in that sin they were not part of this decree and as we learned in the earlier parsha God specifically counts them separately because if they had been counted then they would have been included in this decree Verse 30, God is saying, if you will enter this land, meaning you're not going to enter this land, that I swore, to cause you to settle there, only Kalev ben Yifuneh and Yeshua ben Nun, only Kalev the son of Yifuneh and Yeshua the son of Nun, they will be able to settle in there, but everybody else will not be able to. Interesting to note, aside from the Levites who are excluded, and Kalev ben Yfuna. And Yeshua, the women also are excluded from this decree, and the reason for that was because again, this, the women were not engaged in the sin of the golden calf. They only gave their jewelry for the building of the Mishkan, but not for the golden calf. And also, they were not engaged in the sin of the miraglam of the spies. Now, it's interesting. We touched a little bit, a little bit upon it yesterday. The these two individuals, Kalev and Yeshua, and mentioned that Kalev, God. Give special mention to Kalev that he's going to get Chevron, and we talked about how Kalev uh, was the was the one who who came to overcoming the the other spies by his own efforts without receiving that blessing from from Moshe like Yeshua received the special blessing. And there's a very beautiful lesson there, which is that sometimes you want you're hoping let God give you a sign, let God give you a push when you're in a little bit of a, a spiritual funk. And that would be great, and we all hope for it, and we wish for it, and we should all get it. However, there is a price, and there is a cost to that. As we see with the difference between Kalib and Yeshua, Kalib who had to come to it on his own is much more successful. He's the one when he speaks, everybody quiets down. He receives a special portion of Hebron. And so if we're able to push through those difficult times on our own without that extra push from heaven, the reward is going to be that much greater. Verse 31, and those children that you said are going to be for spoils, they are the ones that I'm going to bring into the land. They will know the land that you despised. And your corpses will fall in this desert. Verse 33, Vnechem and your children, they will be wandering, wandering, royim b'midbar arboim shana, for 40 years in the desert, Ro'im is, is like animals who are who are pasturing. I think that's a more accurate description. And they will carry your defection until your corpses have fallen in the desert. Now Rashi tells us something very interesting. He says that what is this concept of 40 years? So 40 years means that the people who are going to die, that generation who was counted from 20 years and above, none of them would die less than 60 years. They were all going to live at least to 60 years. In other words, their punishment was not, they were forgiven. And, and they'll go, although God says, I'm going to wipe them all out, now Moshe gets to the point where God agrees, no, they're not going to die now. They're going to live until at least 60 Um They're going to live till, till, till 60. Some of them last if they were older, but the 20 year olds will live till 60. And this is why there's 40 years, so that those 20 year old years old, those are 20 years old, would reach the age of 60. Now he says, really, there is only 39 years. So Rashi's addressing a questionnaire. We talk, God talks about for 40 years, but really, it was only 39 years because they had already been in the desert for one year and so the full length of it is 40 years but this was already one year into it so it should really be 39 years that they're going to be wandering in the desert 39 years and rashi explains that the first year is also included in the 40 years and why is that they hadn't committed the sin of the spies yet why is the first year also counted as part of the 40 years rashi answers because from when they did the ego when they did the golden calf this idea arose this decree arose in god's thought but he waited, God waited until the straw that straw that broke the camel's back, until they had committed other sins and that 10th sin, that 10th test, for which the actual decree was manifest and put into place. And as Rashi says, when we look in the next verse, we're going to see that they will carry your sins, and that's plural, even though we're just talking about one sin, ostensibly, the sin of the, of the, of the spies. God refers to two sins, iniquities, in plural, because he's talking about also the sin of the golden calf. A third thing that Rashi says is that typically when we talk about somebody who is um, 60 years old, really they're in their 61st year. So really somebody who turns 59, on his 59th birthday, he's already entered his 60th year. This is why, by the way, the custom of saying a psalm each day that relates to one's age when you're 13, you're already saying Psalm 14, and the reason for that is because as soon as you turn 13, you're entering your 14th year. And so Rashi says that's the meaning of this year as well. Once they uh, turn 59, they already enter their 60th um, 60th year. That would be already considered that they live to 60, and that's in this. Um, um, and Rashi uses the word mi ben shishim, 60 year old which in, in the sense means already entering the, the 60th year. Verse 34, now this is something we learned two days ago that God rushed the spies through the land for 40 days because each, each day that they were there, the Jewish people were going to have to be in the desert for one year corresponding to those to each day. And this is now repeated here. There, verse 34, but the 40 days that you toured the land, there will be one day per each year. It's repeated. You will carry the iniquities for 40 years and you will know my alienation. You will know what it feels like. The fact that you, Rashi says, you turned your hearts away from me and you see the results of that. Verse thirty-five: I, the Lord, the Barti, I have spoken, I'm going to do this to this evil congregation, who assembled against me. But midbaraze in this desert, they will end, and there they shall die. Now, in verse thirty-six, God um, turns towards the actual spies. So till now, we're talking about the P- Jewish people in general, and now what about the spies, the men? That Moshe sent to tour the land and they returned and caused the people to complain and spread a slanderous report on the land now if we look in this translation here it's the a slanderous is in brackets that is that is uh, accurate according to Rashi because Rashi will tell us that the word Diba is really can go both ways it's a report It could be good, it could be bad. This is in contradistinction to Ramban, Nachmanides, who says that the Hebrew word here, Diba, always means something bad. Um, Right. Verse 37. Actually, if you're looking over here in in the translation, um, it says "diba" is lashon hara, talk or gossip. But according to the uh, commentary on Rashi that I read, this French word does not mean uh, something negative. It could mean any type of talking. So it's more talk, and not necessarily negative. I was thinking something very interesting. You know, we learned um, the other day about how the spies, when they came back, they started with something good. They started with something positive. They said, oh, the land is great. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, but etc. And we learned from Rashi. Rashi says that when you want to lie and you want to tell a story, you make up a story, you have to put in some truth at the beginning. And that, I guess, brings the people in. I was thinking perhaps there's another message here, which is that this idea of lashon hara, this negative speech, especially when talking about other people, it usually doesn't start off the conversation. Hey, did you hear about this terrible thing that this person did? No, there's a gateway to it. And what's the gateway? The gateway is it's just generally speaking about people, not necessarily in a negative way. It's just gossip, right? And so that's kosher. We're just talking, well, you know, you could even claim that it's positive because we're interested in other people says the Torah is hinting no, that we should just refrain from talking about other people in general because it starts with just neutral conversation about the person but often will lead to eventually something negative. And we see that with the spies. They start off with something positive about the land of Israel and then they get to the Lashon Hara. Verse 37, by Yemus the people died, those who had um, spoken negatively. About the land So these were the spies themselves. They didn't were not allowed to live till they were 60, but rather they died right away in a plague in front of God. And Rashi goes into great length about how they died and says that it involved their tongues and worms and their navel. Um and this this occurred before God. What does it mean before God? Rashi says that that means that they were punished measure for measure. In other words, their, their punishment uh, reflected the sin that they did. And how was that so? So first of all, their tongues, of course, that's the speech. they engage in negative speech and the navel because they spoke against, against the land of Israel, which is the navel, the center of the world. And the worms, also very, very interesting um, idea, which is that you know worms, they, they consume things. You look at an, an, an apple and you see this little tiny worm or a bunch of worms and they'll eventually consume it. And I was thinking that this is also an, another lesson about Lashon hara, which is that we may think, be tempted to think, you know, these are just words. They can't really have that much of an impact. Impact, it's just words. And so the lesson from the worm is, you know, you see this little tiny worm or a bunch of worms, you say, well, how, what kind of an impact? This little tiny uh, bites that they're taking out of an apple or, or, or whatever it is they're eating, but eventually they will consume the entire thing. And so that is, a, that is the lesson from the fact that they were killed in a way that, that involved worms. A lesson about Rosh and in general seems like it's harmless, but actually can destroy a person. Verse 38, But the two good spies, they lived from those people, meaning the other spies. And as Rashi explains... These words seem to be extra. And first of all, we already know that they were not involved. They were not involved with that. So Rashi says this comes to teach us this verse, teaching us that they inherited the portions of the land of Israel that the other spies would have inherited if they had merited to go into the land of Israel. So actually, choyu they lived, as Marsha explains that the land of Israel gives you life. So they had extra portion of life because of the other spies. So Moshe now repeated these things to the Jewish people, and when they hear it, and here we have a fascinating psychological uh, phenomenon where the Jewish people go from a state of absolute skepticism and almost heresy to suddenly they're big believers and they're ready to go into the land of Israel. Now the Reb explains in Tanya that this, is, this tells us that when we experience uh, skepticism and lethargy and cynicism, and we think, oh, we need to engage in all, we need to see some kind of a miracle to get us out of it, the Alter Rebbe says, no, there was no miracle that happened. Right? They said, we don't believe that God can do this. Did God perform any miracle to change their minds? No. What happened? He yelled at them. Moshe rebuked them. And this itself shook them out of that state of cynicism and fear and brought them to their true self. In other words, the true self is not cynical. The true self is not skeptical or fearful. But rather, the true self is, the true self gets it. And when we're in that state of cynicism or fear, what's really happening is that we are not ourselves. And so as soon as they're shaken out of that state, their true self, which is one with God, comes to the fore. So they get up in the morning, but they still end up making a mistake. And they go up towards the, head, to the top of the mountain. They're heading towards Israel and say, Hinenu, echoing Abraham, we are here. We're ready. We're going to go up to the place that God said, "Kihatanu," for we have sinned. This is an interesting expression. Um, they're giving a reason for why they're going up. What does it mean, for we have sinned? So the simple meaning is they're admitting we made a mistake, but now we're ready. right? And in their past, they've been able to recover from mistakes that happen with the golden calf so they think it's going to happen again the um, Sifse Kohen student of the student of the Arizal Rabbi Mordechai Kohen writes that chatanu chet refers to a sin that is done by mistake Bishogig. and so he says our mistake is, is by mistake uh, our, our sin is by mistake and therefore we should be allowed to go into the land what was their sin Rashi says for we have sinned we said it's better for us to go back to Egypt we now realize that was a mistake Let's go to the land of Israel. Moshe says, why are you transgressing the word of God? It will not succeed. It's not going to succeed where you try to go to the land of Israel now. Transgressing the word of God is that God says it's not going to happen. We're not doing that. Do not go up because the Lord is not within you and you should not be killed in front of your enemies. The Amalekites, the Canaanites, they're in front of you. You're going to fall by the sword because you turned away from God and God is not going to be with you. You're not going to win this war. But the Jewish people don't listen. They defiantly ascend the mountain. And Rashi gives one, that it means they, they uh, in, insolently or with strength, azus they went ahead anyway, or you read it as if it has an olive, since the olive and the iron are interchangeable. They're both guttural sounds, guttural letters. And it comes to the word darkness, that they were in darkness. They were walking in darkness because they were on their own. The Ark of God did not move from the camp. And so this also explains why they would not succeed. The reason they would always succeed in war is because the Ark of God was with them. Moses was with them. God was with them. Now they didn't have that, but they didn't realize that this would be a failure. Right? They thought if they go, God is going to come with, will, will follow along. But unfortunately, it did not happen. What happens, the Amalekites they, and the Canaanites, they descend from the mountain and they beat and crush the Jews until Chorma. Now, the next portion seems to be unrelated, a major non-sequitur, and it's about the libations. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to go read through the whole thing because I think we're probably out of time. Uh, but just give you the lesson from the al Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe explains it. What is the libations, which is a pouring of wine that accompanies a sacrifice why is this um come over here so first of all rashi it says that that god is telling them even though i am told you such bad news don't worry eventually you will get into the land of israel when you get into the land of israel and you bring a sacrifice you shall make sure to bring wine along with it The in the verse verse number five but why is this connected with the um why is this connected with why is this connected with the story of the spies and the answer is based in Hasidus that the spies again wanted to escape from the world they wanted to bring earth to heaven so to speak they didn't want to bring heaven to earth and in a sacrifice there's a balance the sacrifice itself the animal is burnt up and goes up, so to speak, to heaven. That's bringing earth to heaven, which is what the spies wanted to do. But the the libations, there's another aspect of the sacrifice which represents the opposite, the idea of bringing heaven down to earth, and that is represented by the wine which is poured near the altar and goes down into the earth. So you have these two directions happening. The sacrifice of is going up, the wine is coming down. And this is why this comes right after the story of the spies, because... It was the lesson that had to be taught after the spies that God's desire is for us to bring heaven down to earth, not just to bring heaven, uh, earth to heaven. So that concludes our Parsha for today.